Earlier this week, I was looking at a passage of Scripture in Romans 5, and it's talking about different things that Adam um, caused for us and that Jesus Christ resolved for us. And I was reading that passage, and I was recognizing that there was a lot going on in that passage, and I wanted to really slow down and go through it slowly. So, Lord willing, this little mini-series will go at least three weeks, and I want to talk about federal headship. Federal headship. Now, that's one of those terms uh, uh, preachers and theologians have made up. Every once in a while, something comes along uh, where there's a principle in Scripture and there's not necessarily a good Bible word for it, so we make one up. And you're thinking, well, that doesn't sound very holy. But like, for instance, the word Trinity. The word Trinity is not in Scripture, but definitely the principle of a triune Godhead certainly is. Uh, there's one God, one unanimous God, with a Godhead, with three personalities that do different functions, all in one in harmony. And to describe that all in a word, we came up with the word Trinity. Well, the term federal head or federal headship, certainly that principle is in Scripture, even though that phrase is not. And Lord willing, what I'd like to do is take some time to talk about it and talk about the principle of it. And I want to spend all the time today talking about having a federal head or a representative. And because of that representative, we get cursed. And you're thinking, wow, that sounds like a pretty depressing sermon. Well, it is. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's just one of those to be continued. You got to come back next week because next week we want to talk about the federal headship and all the things that positive can happen because of a representative. And then Lord willing, after that, I would like to tackle the the, the, the person that has two federal heads, and that happens in more than one case. So it's a lot to digest. I've got to admit, I've tried preaching on this in the past, over the past 20, 25 years, and I usually done it one Sunday, and I usually choke myself and the, the, the congregation also. So I'm going to slow way down, and, and we'll walk through this. So I'd like to talk about federal headship, okay? And I've got an illustration to kind of just introduce you with it, and it's found in 1 Samuel 17. This is the account of David and Goliath. David and Goliath. It's interesting, when we talk about federal heads, we like federal heads when our representative does something that blesses us. But when our federal head does something that doesn't bless us and gets us a curse, we don't like the idea anymore. We like to say, that's not fair. Okay? So here's an example of a federal head, a very practical example. <clears throat> In this particular case, the, uh, uh, the Philistines and the uh, uh, Israelites were engaged in battle, and they had met in a valley. And on one side of the valley encamped were all the Philistines, and on the other side of the valley on the mountainside was all the Israelites. And every morning would come out as this Goliath would come out and he would just taunt Israel. Well, let's go read that account. And I'm in 1 Samuel 17, verse 3. And the Philistines stood on the mountains at, on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and target of brass between his shoulders, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's bean, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him. Verse 8, here comes the federal headship. Got it? 
And he stood and he cried unto the armies of Israel, and he said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine, and serve ye servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you. In other words, he's saying, choose a federal head. I'll explain it in a second. And let him come down to me. If he be able to fight me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then say ye be our servants and serve us. This is a situation where there was two armies and he was saying, why go to this great big fuss and have all this carnage and all this loss? Let's just send out, each one send out their best warrior and it's going to be winner take all. That is an example of a federal head where Goliath would represent the Philistines and whoever the Israelites would pick would represent Israel. Now, this is my point. If the battle takes place and David wins, we go, hooray, federal headship is wonderful. But what happens is if David would have lost and the Philistine would have won, we'd have said, not fair. Why should I suffer for his loss? Okay? Now, we're thinking, that would never happen. Has anyone ever played soccer or hockey? Yes? Soccer or hockey? Well, I think I'm the only one in here that ever played hockey, but I think maybe some of you might have played soccer. But what happens at the end of a game when it's a tie? Right? They have a shootout, right? And the soccer team goes and the coach picks five um, players, right? And the opponent picks five players, and they both take turns shooting at the goal, and whoever has the highest score at the end of that, four to two or four to three, whatever it is, the team won. In essence, what they've done is they've taken five people to be their federal head, and the other people have taken five people to be their federal head, and they represent all. Now, if you're on the team, and your five score the most goals, you go, yay, we won. But what happens when we're on the other side, and those five lost, and we say, that coach should have picked me. Right? I'm not claiming this loss. I'm not accepting this loss. It doesn't matter. The loss is still in the books and it's a loss for your team, whether you like it or not. Those five were your federal head, whether you like it or not. Now, it's interesting. Your opinion of how good you are was a little bit different than the coach's opinion of how good you are. In essence, we're going to go look to a place where we're going to look at Adam. Adam. And he was our representative. Okay, but we'll take some time to get there. I really want to stress this point of federal headship because what happens is, is in our modern culture, with all our isms, our humanism, our modernism, our moralism, our individualism, we don't like federal heads. But it's a principle all throughout Scripture. And I just want to reinforce how much is there and how people were willing to accept it then and maybe we can accept it a little bit in a soccer game. But not when it comes to sin. Well, we'll see. Okay? Now, uh, let's just talk about cause and effect. Okay? Let's, let's, let's take a practical example. Would you agree that, let's suppose there was a woman and she was pregnant and she continued to drink during her pregnancy. You've heard of a fetal toxic syndrome or whatever it is, right? Yes? 
Would you agree that the sin of the mother affected the baby? Would you agree that the baby was completely passive and yet suffered the consequences of that sin? Let's see. Yeah, well, we can see that. I, that's medical. That's not sin. Well, it is sin, but it has a medical consequence. Okay. What happens if a father bails on a woman? And I don't care if she bailed before they got married, after they got married, soon after they got married. You look at the statistics of a child raised without a father, and you look at um, the tendency of, of, of addiction and of, of uh, welfare, of uh, uh, incarceration. I mean, all those numbers, statistically, they just go through the roof. And would you agree that a father bailing on a little boy or a little girl adversely affects them, even though the child was completely passive? And we'd go, yeah, I'd believe that. That's another case where the sin of a father affected the consequence of a young baby. Amen? Well, we can accept that, right? Okay, let's go a little bit further, all right? I want to show you something here. I want to go to 1 Samuel 22 and verse 15. I want to show you two people that cried not fair. But they're not they're going to cry not fair, but not for the reasons America cries not fair right now. It's a whole different reason. See, my point is is back even in scriptures in in, in scriptures time, they accepted not fair or they accepted federal hits. Okay, this is the case and and I don't know if you remember this or not, but <clears throat> At this point, we're in 1 Samuel 22, and I'm going to read verse 15 in just a second. But let me kind of set the stage. In this particular case, Saul got really paranoid, and, and he was just afraid David was trying to steal his, his reign, and he was trying to kill him, and he was tracking him down. Matter of fact, he tried to kill him eight different occasions in eight different ways. But on one of the occasions, he had 3,000 soldiers, and he was racing after David. And David came through with a couple hundred men. And David came to this king, and I'm not a king, a priest. The priest's name was Ahimelech. And Ahimelech saw David coming, and he didn't know Saul was mad at him. As far as he knew, David was a loyal guy, and he was a loyal guy. But he came through, and what happened was is this priest gave him some food, and he gave him the sword of Goliath. And David took it and left. Well, Saul's chasing after him, and he comes through. And he comes to this priest and he says, why did you hate, help my worst enemy? I want you to know what the priest says. I want, he's, he's, watch what he says. Ahimelech speaks to Saul. Net, let not the king impute anything to myself or my father's house. For thy servant knew nothing of all this. In other words, supplying David with food and a sword. Notice what Ahimelech's saying. He's not saying federal headship is not fair. He says, don't impute anything to me or anything to my family as I represent my family. What I did, I was completely ignorant. So he's claiming not fair. He's not saying federal headship's not fair. He accepts that. What he's rejecting is the crime that he's being accused with as he helped a spy. And he didn't know David was a spy. Let's go one more time. This is in 2 Samuel 24. This is right at the end of David's life. At the end of David's life, David counts and numbers the people. And God said, don't number the people. Even Joab said, don't number the people. But he numbered the people anyway. 
And God said, this is terrible. I'm going to give you a curse. And it was either three years or three months or three days. And he says, David said, I can't pick, you pick. So God decided to give him a pestilence for three days. And after day one, an angel of the Lord came down and killed 70,000 soldiers. David's sin caused the death of 70,000 soldiers. And after day one, David says this. He's going to say not fair, but he's not going to say not fair because of the way America thinks. He's saying not fair of something else. Watch. He says, I have sinned, I have done wickedly, but these sheep, these 70,000 people that just died, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and my father's house. He's accepting federal headship. He said, take it out on me, take it out on my family, but don't take it out on these 70,000 innocent shoulders. So, so my point is, is they're accepting a federal headship. Now I gotta tell you, as I read this, it scares the daylights out of me of being a dad and a grandfather about what God holds me accountable and to the things that go on for, for those that I will represent from time to time. So I'm just trying to convince you that federal headship is a Bible principle throughout Scripture. But now I really want to bear down here and I want to give you some examples. Okay? So let's keep on going here. Right? I've got to tell you something that happened. <clears throat> when I was in ninth grade, I had a gym class. Back then it was junior high. And back then they still used corporal punishment. Okay? So they had these great big long wooden paddles and we called them wax. Okay? Gym teachers were always good about giving out wax. And we were in a gym class. And up in Michigan, where it's really cold in the wintertime, you can't always go outside. So actually, just about every school back then had a pool. So we were in a swim class, and two of the kids in the gym class were messing around. And the gym teacher just had enough, and he lined up the whole class in bathing suits. Whack! Whack. It was the only whack I got all the way through school. I wasn't one of the two. Okay, I didn't deserve a whack that time. There were other times where I probably deserved one and just didn't get caught, but I didn't deserve one that time. Those two students were our federal heads, and we're going to see this principle play out. So what I thought was a terrible injustice back there in ninth grade, because I was thinking like a typical American. Amen? Okay. All right, I know today is, is going to be hard to take, because we're just looking at examples when representatives caught a curse. And that's all we're going to look at today. I hope that excites you to come back and come back next time, because I want to do the exact opposite and show times where federal heads did nothing but blessings. Matter of fact, I'm going to entitle this message, My Bad. In other words, My Fault. And as the people were coming in and looking at the title, a couple of them were giggling at it. And I said, what's the opposite of my bed? Because that's what I want to title next week. And Claire and James both came up with, you're welcome. So next week, the message will probably be, you're welcome. But this is my bed, okay? My fault. It's all my fault. This happened to you, my fault. And by the way, I even looked up that phrase, my bad, this week. First time it was ever spoken was by Louis Armstrong to Ed Sullivan on television. Louis Armstrong made a mistake, and he says, my bad. So there's, that's where that came from. 
urban legend. So I'm in 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1. I'm still just trying to reinforce this principle of federal headship. And then we'll get into the theology. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servants, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. Wow. In the day we live with easy, easy chapter 11s and filing bankruptcy and all that kind of stuff, back then... A dad who defaulted on a loan, his children would go into bondage until the debt was paid off. My friends, that's an example of federal headship. Amen? What dad did to two very passive sons had nothing to do with it. So in other words, that's an example of federal headship. What dad does affects children coming down the road. And this is where a default. Evidently, he feared the Lord. He was hardworking, but he still died. He still died. So this is an example of federal headship. Sons suffered because of their father's default on the loan. Okay, let's go on. Let's crank it up just a little bit. I want to go to a man named Achan. This is in Joshua 7. I'm still trying to simply reinforce the principle of federal headship with a negative consequence today. This is a particular case where Israel went to battle. And uh, Israel had just taken Jericho, and things went smooth as silk, right? So what happens is, is now they're coming along, and they're going to take the next city. It's a little city named Ai. It's really, compared to Jericho, it was a no-account city with a no-account army. And here we go, and this is what happened. And the men of Ai smote them, about 36 men, and chased them before the gate even unto Shebarim. And then what happened was, we go down to verse 6, and Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face, upon the ark of the Lord, until eventide. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan? to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Would to God we have been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs up before the enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the lands will hear of it. We got whipped. Joshua's saying, "We, we lost. Lord, why is this? We came over the Jordan, we're going to this land, we're conquering the land you told us, and we go into this battle and we lost by a no count army to a bunch of little pipsqueaks. Everybody's going to hear it. They're going to know we're weak. We're vulnerable. This is what God says. Listen. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou upon thy face? Israel hath sinned. Wait a second. Did Israel sin? No. One man sinned, which represented all Israel. What God said was, you go into battle and you take nothing. You got that prize heifer over there? Don't take it. You see gold, you see silver? Don't take it. You see a nice suit of clothes? Don't take it. Don't take anything. 
So the army goes in and they go into battle. And guess what happened? Achan, one soldier, took it. He coveted. And what happened was a whole nation suffered loss. Soldiers died because one person sinned. But we're not done yet. Okay. Israel has sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have taken of the cursed thing and have also stolen and disassembled also, and they put it even in their own stuff. Notice all the these and the theirs. It was only one guy. But he keeps on saying these and theirs. Why? Federal headship. Okay. Let's keep on going. I'm jumping down to verse 17 now. And Joshua said unto Achan, my son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord. And thus and thus have I done. And when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels of weight, I coveted them. I just I couldn't help myself. It just looked so good. And I looked really good in that frock or whatever it was. And I took it, and I went home, and I dug a hole in the middle of my tent, and I buried it, and I put it all underneath there. Verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran into the tent, and behold, it was hid in the tent, and the silver under it. And they took them out in the midst of the tent, and brought them unto Joshua, and unto all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Verse 24. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons and his daughters. Oh no. And guess what they did? They stoned him. They stoned them all. Us Americans want to say, that's not fair. Amen? What did the sons and the daughters do? No, it doesn't even, I don't even know if they were in the battle. They weren't even around. But this is a case where the sins of the father cost the, sin, the daughters and the, and, the, and the sons' lives. Now, I know it's hard to take this time after time where these knuckle-headed fathers sinned and cost the life of their children. It's hard, and it costs their freedom. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to take. But you know what we get to hear next week? Where the knuckle-headed children were saved because of their father's obedience. You see, if it goes one way, it's got to go both ways. So if, God, if the father represents, we like when our five soccer teammates or our five hockey teammates, all five of them score a goal and they beat the other team. We say, yay, we won. But we don't like when the five don't score and they get outscored by the other five and we say, we lost. We say, I didn't lose. Those five lost, right? That's, that's the way we go. You can't have both, okay? You can't say not fair to Adam. You say, praise the Lord for Jesus, Okay? In essence, I'm really belaboring this negative consequence thing because until you understand what Jesus brought you out of, you can't appreciate what he did for you. So we have to see this cause and effect. And you think this, I I know, Brother Dolph, you're going to Adam, you're going to Adam. Think of it this way, okay? 
It's like these soccer players, right? You get these, and you're thinking, oh, I should have been that soccer player. And he says, you're, you're no good soccer player. When you kick it, you can't even score a goal. It would be like you having to take a test in a graduate course in nuclear physics, okay? And all semester long, you were cutting class. And you didn't read the book, you didn't do the homework, and all of a sudden you got to take the final. And there's this guy over here that's a PhD in nuclear physics. And they say, would you like him to take the test for you? And you say, yeah. And he flunks the test. And you say, not fair. Could you say not fair? Well, it's kind of like that with Adam. You've got you, but you've got Adam, and he's set in the perfect situation with perfect knowledge, with perfect understanding. And guess what? He flunked the final. He didn't even have other people cutting him off in traffic because there was nobody else to cut him off in traffic. And he didn't have any bad things happen to him. Oh boy, was I tested on Friday. I was working on two pieces of furniture. I had one piece of furniture that needed staining, and I had another piece of furniture that needed painting. So I put this great big piece of plastic tarp out on my driveway, and at one end I had the piece of furniture and I was staining it, and I finished it, and I went over here and I put the other end of the tarp, I put a, the bookshelf that I was painting, and I put it over here. A great big, I was all done. I was letting them dry. I waited three days for the sun and the weather to be just right. Finally, Friday was perfect. I got everything sanded. I got everything stained. I got everything painted. And along comes a great big gust of wind, and it took that tarp, tipped it upside down, and my stain can dumped out. And then another gust of wind came, and it took that tarp, and it splattered it all over my white bookshelf. It looked like someone purposely camouflaged it. That's what it looked like. And you know what? I didn't swear. <laughs> but Adam was in the perfect environment, and he didn't even have bad winds to do that kind of stuff to him. He didn't have other people to egg him on, to goad him, to, 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 to tempt him. And we're in this world. It's, so, so we would never say not fair to the PhD in nuclear physics. Amen? But do we do that to Adam, the perfect man and the perfect knowledge and the perfect situation without all the temptations? No, we can't, right? Let's keep on going, okay? <clears throat> this is in 2 Samuel 21. This is a, kind of an involved passage, but I like it. See, see the first one we did, we, I wanted to show that a father can cause cursings on children. But I want to do this one to show sometimes it's a little bit delayed. Okay? And this is an account. Now let me start reading it. I'm in 2 Samuel 21. David's the king, but if you know before David, King Saul was the king. But right now, as we get to this one, it's in 2 Samuel, and I think Saul's long dead. He died at the end of 1 Samuel. Okay? There was a famine in the days of David, three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, It is for Saul. But Saul's dead. 
for his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but a remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them. And Saul sought to slay them in the zeal of the children of Israel and Judah. What happened was, is when Israel came into the land of promise and they were claiming all the land and beating all the inhabitants, there was this tribe of the Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites looked and they were watching God and Jehovah God working with Israel. And they said, we don't have a chance. So what they did is they made a contract with Joshua. They said, you don't whip us and we will serve you forever. And Joshua said, okay. And there's more details, but that's not the point of this lesson today. So what happened is this years go by. A covenant was made. And years go by, and now all of a sudden Saul's the king, and he says, I hate anybody that's not of Israel. I'm going to kill them all. And he killed some of the Gibeonites. So what happened was he broke the contracts the Gibeonites made with Joshua. Saul didn't make the contract. Joshua made the contract hundreds of years earlier. But he broke the contract anyway. So what happened was now Saul's dead, and along comes David, and God says, I want justice. The contract's been broken. And he had a famine in the land. And David said, God, why are we getting suffered this way? And he says, because Saul broke a contract. So David goes to the Gibeonites and says, hey, we did you wrong. Okay, what do you want? So let's keep on reading. This Old Testament, isn't it good? These are, these are cool stories, aren't they? Cool's the best word for it. I know Trinity, federal headship, cool. Not a King James word, right? They're great words. Wherefore, David said to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? And wherefore shall I make the atonement that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said unto them, we don't want silver, we don't want gold, nor of the house, neither shall thou kill any man of Israel. And he said, what shall you? What should I do for you? You don't want money, you don't want gold? They said, no. We don't even want our freedom. And they answered the king, the man that consumed us and that devised against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the coast of Israel, let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us and we will hang them. Wow. The Gibeonite says, we don't want gold. We don't want money. We don't want raiment. We don't want lands. We don't want our freedom. We just want seven of Saul's descendants to be executed. He executed thousands of our people. We just want to take seven of his. What did those seven boys do? None, right? Completely passive. Dad broke the contract. So David was going through and he picks out seven men. And there's an incredible story between these seven. Two came from one family, five came from another family. And that'll be for another message. But basically, they hung him. But this is a case of federal headship where the sin of one man caused the consequences for children. It's another generation. You got it? This federal headship principle goes all the way out through Scripture. And um, probably the most famous or the most well-known is David when he committed fornication or adultery, and he covered it up with murder. In that particular case, he went into Bathsheba, and he took another man's wife, and because of the result of that 
um, relations, there was a child born. And this is what it says. The prophet came to David, and I'm in uh, 2 Samuel 12 and verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also put away the sin. Thou shalt not die. How be it? Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. The baby died. It lived seven days. Why? Because dad sinned. It's the federal headship principle. Okay, are you to the point now where you're saying, okay, I get it. God holds fathers accountable and sometimes the consequences pour through to children. He's done it in little bitty babies. He's done it for grown men. He's done it cross generations. God's got a good memory. Okay, that's the way God operates. Okay. All right. I find it interesting though as a result of David's sin David's son died because of the hat he was wearing as a dad. But notice what happened. He was also wearing the hat of a king. Amen? The nation went into a civil war because of the sin of a father. So as a federal head, as a father, that hat, a son died. Because of the hat as a king, a civil war ensued. And he also had another hat. He had the head of a a husband. And because of that, ten concubines were raped. All because of David's sin. I don't want to get into those details. I told you, it's it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard when I realize the responsibility I have as a father. And that my actions pour through to my wife and my children and my grandchildren. Okay? All right. That's why I exhort thee, this is Timothy, Paul to Timothy, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, Democrats and Republicans, for kings and for all that are in authority. Why? Because they are your federal head, whether you voted for them or not. You need to be praying for your leaders. They're your federal heads, and if they sin... The consequences can pour forth to their citizens, which includes you. We pray that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all goodliness, godliness, and honesty. So we got to pray for our leaders. That's just a little extra incentive to be praying for your leaders. Amen? There are federal heads. A lot of times I read that, I just says, this is a policy that don't affect me so I can live peaceably. No! That their policies, when they represent us and they make decisions that cost and offend God, that they will impact his citizens, okay? All right. So, are you ready? Let's finally go to Adam, okay? We got two federal heads. That's why the first Adam and the second Adam. The first Adam, we're going to talk about him today. As you know, he was in the garden and he sinned. 
And you're thinking, well, wait a second. He didn't sin first. Eve sinned first. Yes, but Eve was not our federal head. Adam was our federal head. Okay? Adam sinned. And because of his sin, there was a lot of consequences. Let's look at those consequences. Number one, this is in Genesis 3, verse 18 and 19. Thorns also and thistles shall bring forth to thee. Thou shalt eat the herb thereof, and in the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread. Did you know because of Adam's sin, y'all have to work harder than you would otherwise? That is a direct consequence of Adam's sin. I say, not fair. Not fair, right? What I want to do is I want to get a tape recorder. And every time I hear a not fair because what Adam did, I want to play that back because we're going to talk about what Jesus did. Okay? Do you understand? You can't play the game on Adam, but then cherry pick with Jesus Christ. Okay? So that was one consequence is our federal head. Adam being our federal head in descent, we got to work harder. When you go racing after your two sons, three sons in the woods, playing airsoft, right? And you're running through trees and the briars get you and that vine right there, Adam's fault, right? Those pickers, Adam's fault. Okay? That's one consequence. Second consequence. I'm down to verse 23 now. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden to till the ground from whence, and he drove out the man. When Adam sinned, a consequence of that was he got kicked out of the garden. He lost some direct fellowship with God. You lost direct fellowship with God. You used to be able, you know, Adam used to be able to walk in the woods. And then for the Old Testament, he can only go to God one man, one t- through one man one time a year. Now we can go through him through Jesus, but we still have to go through Jesus. We lost direct fellowship with God. That was a direct result. That's a consequence of Adam's fall. Number three, we died. When Adam sinned, we died spiritually. Amen? But we get began to die physically. So every time you buy life insurance, health insurance, dental insurance, I care insurance. You know what? You write that check out. Blame Adam. It's his fault. Right? Romans 5 verse 12. Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin so death passed upon all men for all have sinned. Well, how did we sin? We sinned in Adam. How did we sin in Adam? Adam is our federal head. He was our representative. He was the PhD that took the physics final, nuclear physics final, and he flunked the test. We cannot say, I would have done better. We can't. He took the test and he failed it. He was our federal head. Well, I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's fair when the coach picks five guys and he leaves me out but he's the judge of talent, and he picked the federal head, and I got no choice in the matter. Okay? Well, that's not fair. That same judge picked Jesus Christ. You got it? Okay. 
Here's something else that happened. <clears throat> when Adam died, spiritually, we became inept. Okay? This is our result. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together becoming profitable. There is none that do good. There is none that fear God. After Adam died, it affected all his genetics, so all his offspring were tainted. They were spiritually inept. How can that be? Well, that's why Jesus was born via a virgin birth. What happened was Jesus had to bypass the genetics of Adam. That's why it's the first Adam and the second Adam. Both of them are God's sons. They are born without this part. Okay? Here's a second witness, 2 Corinthians 2.14. Natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit, their foolishness unto him. And Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's our state. That's our state in Adam. That's our state by ourselves. That's because that's what the genetics came through. Okay. This is the hard one. Heaven is not our default. Hell is our default. I got to tell you a story when I was a little boy. Okay, many of you know I, I grew up Roman Catholic. And I don't do this to make fun of anybody else. I hope you know me by that now. I really don't. But I can remember sitting in a l- class. And I don't remember exactly what grade it is. It was either late grade school or early middle school. Maybe around 5th, 6th, 7th grade. Somewhere around there. Okay. And back then, we didn't go to Sunday school. We went to something called catechism, which was every Monday night after school. So I'm sitting in a classroom with all my classmates, and a nun's up front, and she's explaining how heaven and hell works. Okay? And she went up to the chalkboard, and she drew a circle. And she said, that's your soul. Okay? Then you commit a sin, and she put a little chalk tick mark in the middle, right there. And then you teased your sister, and she went, right there. Then you snuck a cookie from the refrigerator, and then she went, right there. And that's your soul. So what you have to do is you got to go confession. When you go to confession, she took an eraser and she went, shh, shh, shh. And she, and then you get to go to heaven. And that's how it was explained to me. But under that, now I'm, again, I'm not making fun of the folk, I'm, but under that system, heaven is your default. And all you can do is mess it up. Okay? That's not the way it is. Hell is your default. You got it? Because being born in Adam, we are tainted with sin already. And we don't take an eraser and go, Jesus took the eraser and went, right? Heaven is our default. It's really hard to take. I got to tell you another story that happened. Here, I want to go to this verse right here, okay? In Psalm 58 and verse 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they're born lying. That's what the psalm says. I tried preaching on this. I'm looking in the back row. Emma was probably three months old, okay? So that's like 22 years ago. See her back there? Right there. And at the time, we were getting ready for church, 
And she's child number four. So the three boys were running around getting ready, and Deborah was running back and forth getting ready. She's probably three months old. And at three months old, <clears throat> Deborah had fed her and changed her diaper and, you know, did the burping and the gas, and, and she put her down. And she was out getting the boys ready, getting ready for church, and we were all getting ready for church. And Emma just started screaming. Rah! So Deborah ran over there and checked her out, said, okay, she's no gas, and she's still dry, and she put her back down. You know what she was doing? She was lying. That cute little blue-eyed, curly-headed little baby was lying. And I preached that in a sermon on Sunday morning. Every grandma in the joint gave me the stink eye (laughs) for being the coldest person you ever saw. I was quoting scripture, but they gave me the stink eye. How dare you talk? What a cold-hearted father you are. But she was lying. We are liars. We want what we want. We want it now. Amen? She's not a liar anymore, so I'm very thankful for her. But at three months, she was a liar, okay? And at three months, I was a liar too. We are born with that sin nature. It is in our genes, and we can't get out of it. Christ is the one that does that, okay? So hell is our default. Our Genesis 8.12, it says, For the imagination of a man's heart is evil from his youth up. It's genetic to us. Psalm 51 and verse 5, David takes it back further than that. He says, Behold, and I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He was not an illegitimate child. Matter of fact, I think he was like the eighth or the ninth boy, right? He was, mom and dad were married, had plenty of kids. And when I was conceived, sin was present. That's what David said. And then Psalm 58, verse 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born. So Josiah, even as cute as you were as a little boy, you were born a little sinner, okay? And you need a Savior whether you're a day old or whether you're 100, days, 100 years old. You still need a Savior, okay? So that's the lesson of federal heads. Next week, we're going to talk about the positive consequences of a federal head. But you couldn't understand the richness of those positive things until you got your arms around the negative things and you understood where we sat. So with that being said, I'm going to close for today. I hope you're excited. Read Romans 5. Read 1 Corinthians 15. Look at the two side by side. We'll get that, not next week, in two weeks, when we look at the two ads side by side.